Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fully Expressed Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Marhefka, and I am excited to bring you the following conversations with some of the most interesting people I have ever met. When I set out to start recording the Fully Expressed Podcast, my intention was not to be the biggest, the most listened to, the most profitable podcast, but my intention was to be the most vulnerable podcast. And so as I interview our guests, my desire is to bring up stories and share experiences that they haven't shared before or they don't share regularly, to let us into their world even deeper so that we may learn and grow from their stories. And so far, we've certainly done that. Please check out all the episodes we've recorded on Spotify, iTunes, and all the other platforms. And if you love this show, please leave us a review, let me know, and also share this with a friend who you think might enjoy it. Lastly, if you want to support this show, please go over to trainingcampforthesoul.com. Training Camp for the Soul is my company where we do emotional healing, inner child work, and we teach people how to truly transform their lives. This show is completely funded by Training Camp for the Soul, so if you want to support me in the show, please go check out everything we have to offer over there. If you want to see the show notes and anything more about this podcast, go to chrismarhefka.com slash fully expressed. And then lastly, go over and follow me on the Instagram at chrismarhefka, where I share my own personal stories vulnerably, openly, and honestly. Thank you all for listening and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Fully Expressed Podcast. I'm here with my brother, Mateo Flows. Good to be here with you, Chris. I'm excited to have this conversation. I uh, have hung out with you many times. I've trained with you many times, and I'm actually very, very excited to dive deeper into the brain of uh, what moves this man right here. Let's do it. So let's kick it off. Tell people a little bit about like what it is that Mateo is interested in and excited about at this moment in time. Yeah. The big word that has been resonating with what I'm trying to bring to people lately has been embodiment. And how that's been showing up is kind of the cross section between all the transformational experiences that you and I have both been exploring and also the movement practices that I've been obsessed over the last few years. And something that I've noticed is that there is this cross-section where they meet, and embodiment is kind of the word that I'm using to describe how those two worlds form together. Obsessed feels like a perfect word for how I would describe you in like the most beautiful way. When did this obsession start for you? It's a great question. I definitely wasn't always a mover. I think my first taste of the power of movement came when I did a yoga class in college. And for my whole life, I've always had a hard time sitting still. And I didn't know what it was labeled as ADD when I was younger. And many years later, through this exploration of movement, come to understand that I am made to move. It's in my DNA. It's my human design type. It's my personality. It's necessary for me to find stillness. I have this innate energy that needs to be expressed. And when I did this yoga class, it was so interesting because I'd have these experiences of coming out and then going to my next period. And for 
the first time in my life feeling okay with sitting still. Wow. What came through with the okayness? What is that? Just a peace, a sense of ease, a sense of this jittery energy that I've had inside me my whole life, just finally finding a rest. It's always felt like I'd be sitting in this chair and just like, like I need to get out. I need to move and got me in trouble through my whole life because it would manifest in, you know, wanting to have a conversation with the person next to me or just being rambunctious, which is not ideal for a classroom sort of experience. And ever since I was like pre-elementary school, I got kicked out of five schools before third grade. Whoa. That's how deeply embedded this tendency was inside of me. And the world around me just didn't have the reference to really understand that, hey, this kid just needs to run like 50 laps and then maybe we can have him sit still and do something. Yeah. I imagine a lot of people resonate with that restlessness. So what happened after that? You found stillness, found peace, calmness, and then what? Say I'm definitely still in a quest for stillness. It's a continual practice for me, but that little taste of what movement could offer made me recognize that this was something I needed deeply in my life. And around that same time, Conor McGregor was making his rise in the UFC. And I became kind of obsessed with his mindset. I would watch videos of him training and it was fascinating to me how through sheer force of will, he seemed to have this reality distortion field that would just manifest the impossible into being. And through learning about him, I came across his movement instructor who was Ido Portal. You've heard of Ido Portal? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've been trained by, not him, but some people that have been directly trained by him. So I started watching Ido Portal's interviews on the London Real podcast and his perspective about movement really transformed the way that I looked at it, particularly how he talked about movement as an all-encompassing philosophy that transcends any particular modality. This idea that it's not about swimming or boxing or rock climbing or running, all these various boxes that have that are defined by their limitations fit inside this larger container of movement. And through that perspective, it became really clear to me that everything was movement and that if everything is movement, there is no greater force you could really align yourself and dedicate yourself to because anything can fall in through that. And through that just identification of myself as a mover, I then was able to find joy in dance, Mm. to find joy in, you know, I could go and take a ballet class, (laughs) something that might previously not resonate with me at all, but because I look at it through the lens of movement, I could find the beauty in it. And that changed everything for me. It got me to start going to the gym. And at first it was just hitting the back, right? Just getting that energy out. And at the time I was really big into music. Music production was my thing. And when you produce music, you do a lot of sitting still. Mm. It's just sitting there and tweaking decibels and moving (laughs) things up and down for hours and hours at a time. I'm at this time I'm being prescribed Adderall. So I'm just sitting there on Adderall, just tweaking decibels for until I couldn't. And that experience was slowly killing me. (laughs) 
And then I'd go and I'd move and I'd hit the bag and then I'd feel this release, this relief. Yeah. And the juxtaposition of those two worlds slowly pulled me deeper into this, this need to move more and explore movement more and this fascination with the endlessness of this practice. Yeah. Literally endless. I look forward to spending the rest of my life like <laughs> exploring the different avenues and crevices and potential possibilities of what movement can be. It's beautiful. And it, it reflects me back to an experience that I had where I got deeply in tune with nature and the energy of nature. And it's, there's never ever a moment in time where nature is still. Mm. It's constantly moving. We just might not be able to perceive its movement, but it's constantly moving, always. And there's always life or energy that's in action. And the way I think about it is we are just a part of that. And our truest expression is when the energy is moving through us and moving us. It becomes almost like, in my view, a marrying of the physical and the spiritual is like the energy, the spirit is moving through us and expressing our bodies in a way that now we can see them because it's physically, but the expression itself is divine. And this is how I feel on the dance floor. Yeah. Like, oh, like when I'm like really deeply in it, that's exactly the marrying that's happening, right? Something there. outside yourself is almost moving yes. you. This proprioceptive intuition that we tap into and just get out of the way of. And one thing I really, really love about working with you, and that's a spoiler alert, I've been training with Mateo now for a few months. Yeah. And what I love about you is that you are so dialed in to like those nuances and it may be the, not the goal, but the goal to understand and really feel the body so deeply that expression can come out. It's almost like we're like widening the spectrum of movement by getting more in tune with the vehicle that is moving. Mm. And so what I've noticed is that since working with you, I have enjoyed movement more in all forms of movement. I've enjoyed dancing more. I've enjoyed training more because I feel more in my body and I can feel like the little mechanisms inside of me actually functioning and expressing and moving the way that I never had before. And I've been training my whole life. Yeah. I've been lifting since I was 18. I've been athletic since I could walk. And I said this the other day, I was like, I don't know how I got so far in my athletic career without having these connections that are coming online today. And this is something I really try to point out to people. They want to follow their intuition, right? This idea that if you just listen to your intuition, and I believe this for so long that I could just tune into my body and my body would tell me what I needed. But what I came to find is that intuition requires context and that the more lenses of movement perspective that I downloaded and developed, the more I was better able to interpret the signaling coming through. Like when I was a yoga instructor, everything I felt was interpreted in the form of a posture or an asana. And then through learning different modalities from functional range conditioning to functional patterns to learning the WEC method coiling to getting an understanding of these fascial lines of continuity that Anatomy Trains talks about, all of a sudden, the same signal that previously I would have felt like, oh, I need to do a pigeon pose, was interpreted completely differently. You know, I, I know that 
in training, we're training like positions and specific movements and coils and, and all these patterns. But it feels like the real explosive win of movement is when those things all start blending together. Yeah. And that for me has been what has recently been coming online is that all of these things, all of these ways that I've moved my body in the past are now starting to come together in a way that they haven't before. And I think it's just by, it feels like scraping back the layers. And this is like what I do in my work. It's all about scraping back layers and just getting deeper into what's behind that or underneath of that or deeper than that. And that's what I feel like you do in the physical movement space. And it's not just physical movement. That's I, I don't want to actually box that in because it's much, much more than that. Well, yeah, the physical, and this is a key component of my philosophy is that the body comes first, but it's just the base layer of our experience, right? Our emotions arise from how our body feels. The way that we hold our posture in space has a feedback relationship to our emotional state. And then on top of that layers, the story of our mind that interprets it and creates this linguistic narrative structure around it. Say that again. Linguistic narrative structure. structure, This word machine in our head that is constantly, I almost see it as an uprising. It's like there is the physical and then we experience it as this energetic emotional state. And then we identify that energetic emotional state with a story. And a lot of times people are stuck up in the story and the work of embodiment is getting them to bring those three layers together. And what's interesting about this particular map that I'm working with is that it has an order of emergence. Mm. So the body travels through the emotion into the mind and the mind travels through the emotion into the body. And that can be a valuable way of kind of working with these different experiences. Yeah. I I remember the first time that, I don't know if it was the first time we met, but it was the first time I trained with you. You were leading a breath hype class. Yeah. This is like many years ago. I was visiting Austin and I was like, this guy's doing something different. Yeah. I was like, I couldn't put my finger on it at the time, but like he's tapped into something different. Yeah. Cause I'd been doing breath work for many years. It wasn't about the breath. It wasn't even about what my body was doing, but it was the connection of all of it and the experience of it of with other people that brought up emotions and movement within myself, energetic movement within myself that I hadn't felt before doing any one of those things by themselves individually. And I was like, I was very lucky that in that first yoga class that I took, which was my first exposure to movement, I also learned the breath at the exact same time. We were doing Vipassana breath practices and actually reading like different yoga books to understand the philosophy behind it. And the breathing was a key component of me finding that stillness. It wasn't just the movement, but it was the connecting with that breath with the movement where I really found the magic. So those have always been tied together from the very jump with me before I was like, you know, I had my high school wrestling and football, but when the magic really sparked, the two were tied together instantly. Yeah. I see that as such a missing piece. I mean, in, in in anything that we do, I mean, whether it's intentional movement or just living in life is like the connection to the breath. Yeah. I know both (laughs) both of us are doing Yeah. 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 And when that clicked for me was when I, I would say I first understood the word embodiment, when Mm -hmm. the breath clicked with my movement, my emotion, 
my being here-ness, my presence. And I say it on almost every podcast that I do, but there's still like a part of me that's like, I'm not stressing this enough, the breath. Yeah. The intentionality of how we can change our states, our physical states, our emotional states with just one tool that we're all given is innate in all of us. I say this a lot, so I hope it's correct. But what I think of it as is that the breath is the only bodily motion that is both able to be consciously controlled and also goes on its own completely unconsciously. So there's something in that unconsciousness being brought into consciousness where there's some real magic and the alchemy of actually changing our pH balance in our blood and reoxygenating our brain, but specifically using it even if you're not changing your breathing pattern, but just bringing that awareness and focus to it brings you back into yourself, yeah. re-embodies you. Re-embodies you. Yeah. And it also feels like the merging and the connection of the physical and the spiritual yeah. when you're really dialed in, when you're really aware of your breath. Because break down the word, you're literally breathing spirit in, you're respiring, yeah. respiriting. And it's the marrying of those two worlds all in one. And you can be in a physical body while also being truly connected to source spirit energy. So when we say this connection to source spirit energy, one thing that I wanted to talk about is how oftentimes that can be interpreted as something outside of ourselves. This idea that to get closer to source or closer to spirit, we actually go up and away, that it's somewhere out there. And I think one thing about the breath is that it brings us back to here. Yeah, it's what's more accurate is that it's everywhere. There's no disconnection. It's only, there's a perceived disconnection when we're just not paying attention to it, but it's always there. But when we lose the consciousness, the conscious awareness, then it feels outside of self. It feels like something far out there. And in my experience, like the breath, nothing else brings me back to that conscious awareness. Yeah, we're both breath nerds for sure. We are. For sure. <laughs> Yeah, and to the point where I would say that I'm a nerd. I'm doing it all the time. In my entire life, I'll be driving and I'll like connect to the breath and connect to the everything. And I'll be in a sauna and I'll do it all right here on this podcast. Like as we were both bringing up breath, I was like, yeah. Yeah, just coming home. What were some of your most impactful teachers or experiences that shaped your thinking today? Definitely Ido Portal was a big one. I remember in those early London Real interviews, he was walking and talking about how he's been so embodied and brought himself so deep continuously into his awareness of where he is that in every moment he's feeling his alignment of like how he's holding his posture and where his neck is in space. And that was like a mind-blowing concept to me. And, you know, many years later, like I've almost <laughs> become that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I would it's, say so. it's become an anchor for this ADD energy mm -hmm. to constantly be almost moving and feeling. But at the time, that was like unimaginable. Mm. This idea that you were just always back in your body. You're always feeling this awareness. So that was huge. Through yoga, yoga was my big entry point, really brought me deeper. One of my first jobs out of college, I was working at a enterprise rent-a-car mm -hmm. and, you know, suit and tied up. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
But even at the time, I was like hitting deep squats on my lunch break. I was going back behind and hit doing my five-minute squats. Mm. I was going on my lunch break to drive down to this little workout park that we had and doing dips because movement was just so crucial to me. Before that, when I was working at Trader Joe's, I was doing it in a way where every time I was loading a shelf, I was trying to bring awareness to how I was holding myself. When I was outside pushing carts, I was, even back then, weaving movement into every moment. Why are guys like Ido Portal not the household names? It's definitely getting there. This is an interesting concept, man, is how much drama there is in the movement world. Hmm. And this is something that I've witnessed over being a nerd about movement for many years is that there is this continual tendency of different movement perspectives to form almost cult-like orientations that then close and try to hide their knowledge from the world because they find something of value and then that value is so hard to hold on to once it gets dispersed. Like one of my first experiences of this was when I was doing my yoga teacher training, I was a member of the Ido Portal Movement Culture Facebook group and they posted something about kinetic koans and a kinetic koan is a body puzzle A koan is like a Zen proverb that you, so what's the sound of one hand clapping, right? It's this idea of like a statement that you can continually repeat in your mind like a mantra that doesn't have an answer to the point that you almost short circuit the thinking brain and get outside of it. So this idea of kinetic koans was fascinating to me. And being the movement nerd I am, I'm like, I want to learn more about this. So I posted in the group, I'm like, hey guys, like, what's the deal with these kinetic koans? Can we talk more about this? Into my shock, <laughs> the post was deleted. Oh, like a child finding out there's no Santa Claus or something. Or like just yeah, it was my first down. exposure to this world of closed off movement, of movement tribalism, adversarial movement tribalism, proprietary movement, this concept of proprietary movement. And since that moment, I've been so against this. And it's been something that I've seeked to dissipate. That's why I've gone through so many different perspectives and tried to merge so many different modalities and forms together because there is keys that exist. There's these contextual lenses that really provide life-changing value, but they're being held on to. Yeah. Because it's like once they're out, you can't profit from them. Right. And that was just the first instance of it. And that was a whole whole drama for me. I ended up being like, what do you mean proprietary movement? Like I thought this movement was the rain. This movement is the wind. This movement is something that is inherent to all of us. This seems to go against everything that I've heard Ido say. And then I ended up getting banned from the group, which was like hard for me because it was like my first taste of culture and tribe around movement. And that has been a reoccurring situation as I've continued to learn more and go deeper into these different perspectives and you just spoke to like the challenge of like all world religion and all doctrines and all politics and Mm. pretty much everything that encompasses the systems of our world are boxed in with labels and with names attached to them and there's truth in everything you can find threads of truth in everything and some codes are really valuable and i see It's not just in the movement space. It's everywhere. This is like the human taking hold of knowledge that was never really ours to begin with and claiming it. 
because even the great masters, they're not that way because they're downloading something that's out there for everyone. And they just have gotten access to it through a channel of actions and behaviors and practices that have tuned them into that frequency, but it's not their frequency. But it gets boxed and packaged as yeah. theirs, and then their ego gets wrapped around it, and an identity forms, and a tribe forms, and the tribalism. Fear. There's fear around it. Yeah. Yeah. There's fear. Like, what if someone like Mateo just disrupts our community, and everything that I've worked for falls Scarcity. apart? Scarcity. Yeah. Scarcity comes in. Yeah. What is the antidote to that? I mean, you've seen it. I imagine you've seen it a few times. I think I have probably a few ideas of the movement community, and what's the antidote to that? I don't know what the antidote is, but I know that my personal mission and mantra has always been to try to give away the keys and to find ways to provide value that's not the keys themselves. So for example, like I have an online course, but I didn't want the knowledge in the course to be the thing that I was selling. Mm. So I spent a really long time trying to create an audiovisual experience so that it was like you could take all this info and do the info on your own. Yeah, like a PDF. And it's, yeah, it's, but it still wouldn't <laughs> yeah, be yeah. the, wouldn't the be colors, this. the sound, the whole experience put together because that was the only way that I could feel good about selling these keys. I will tell anybody anything I know for free. Yeah. I strive to not hold any of it back because I felt what it's like to be on the other side of that. The thing that came to me is like, it feels like the, creative artistic approach versus the capitalistic approach and like if we were to look outside we would both see a tree and that tree doesn't belong to us but we can paint our interpretation of the tree and that can create a new value outside of the tree itself like i want to pay you for that interpretation of the tree and that's what we're doing as artists movement artists and visual artists and sound artists hundred percent. Yeah. We're taking the things that are existing everywhere around us and we're packaging it in a way that is exciting. I don't know, more fruitful. I guess that's what it would be is the experience that I had in your breath hype class the first time I worked with you was it tapped me into something deeper. And it wasn't because I hadn't done any of those things individually. It was just the way the experience that came together. And yeah, honestly, now that I'm speaking it, that's the exact same thing that I do in my work. It's like the tools are the tools. I didn't invent the tools. I don't take credit for the tools. I'm just, tools are coming through me that something is telling me to use this tool. And also it creates magical experience. It creates magic. Yeah. And there is energy exchange for the container you create and the energy you put forward when you lead people through those experiences. But just like the tree, right? When someone's training, it's not a science. It's an art. Yeah. And you could take 500 of the best trainers, physical therapists, movement specialists in the world, give them one body, and you're going to get 500 yes. different answers for what that body should be doing. And the beauty of it is that the one body is going to go with the one that has the best experience. And that yeah. may be a combination of the way they feel in it, the way the objective results. It could be whatever combination that one body gets to decide. And that's the fascinating thing about movement is that there is no right answer. It's like this. I view it as this, like there's a still point, your starting point, and there's this 360 dimensionality and every direction represents an area you could grow in. Like over here is like 
I want to get better at jumping. And over here is I want to get better at sprinting. And over here is I want to get better at lifting. And the more that you go towards one direction, the less you can go towards another direction. So a lot of the times where the most value is to be found is in not over-specializing one way, but kind of like going this way, a little bit that way, a little bit, and then slowly expanding your sphere as dimensionally as you possibly can. Range. Range. Yeah. And to me, it's we were briefly chatting on this before we were recording, and that's one of my favorite energies of humans is range. Mm. And that's like the way I feel with movement as well, is like I want to be able to do all those things. That was when I had a bunch of injuries that pretty much ended any athletic career, I said my perspective shift and I said that I don't want my, this is a negation, but I didn't want my body to hold me back from having any experience that I wanted to have in my entire life. Yeah. And that was like, oh, if that's the case and it's not lifting 500 pounds, then I have to look differently at how I'm treating my body. It's not to squeeze everything to get to the point zero 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 one percent of this one movement or activity, it's actually to test myself and train myself and expand myself into every possible different nuanced way that I can move this beautiful technology that I'm wearing right now. Capacity. Yes. Yeah. Injuries can be some of our greatest teachers. Yes. They can be can be. They're not always, but they can be. Yeah. And I think it's a choice. It's a choice always of like, what can I learn from this? What potentially is this showing me? Like what is arising here? And it's not to say that they're not horrific and they change our life trajectory because that happened for me. I mean, I had a injury, the capillaries in my brain exploded and I couldn't raise my heart rate above resting for seven months on a couch. I went from athlete on a track to do what I said I wanted to do to now couch potato. And like that was one of the hardest, darkest moments of my life. Yet what came of it was me appreciating my body for what it was, what it was capable of. And I started to appreciate the healing powers of it as well because everyone told me there's nothing you can do. And that is like honestly was there was a few moments, but that was one of the moments that got me into this deeper healing work was that because I was just, I had to sit there in stillness. I had to look at the things that I wasn't looking at. I put the intention on, it's funny how a moment can change your entire perspective on life and how silly I had been the moments after it felt like how silly I was being with like what I was chasing or what I was trying to achieve. And now my perspective was like, just want to like walk up a hill again. I just want to having sex. I couldn't raise my heart rate. And so everything would just turn on this grenade in my head. And I'm like, I just want to live again. And like that perspective gave me so much appreciation for life, really feeling alive. We were talking about before the podcast came on, my past life is a, one of the dopest MCs in the game. Yeah. And there's a lyric that I'll never forget that I wrote in this song that I was talking about my life. There's a grandness to the scheme rarely seen in the moment when the worst that can happen ends up being worth it. 
There's a grandness to the scheme rarely seen in the moment when the worst that can happen ends up being worth it. Wow. Bars. Wow. <laughs> Man. Yeah, I was dope. That's dope. Yeah, you are dope. You are dope. That's beautiful. That really is. If we were to just hold that perspective, I don't want to be like bypassing, but like that would end all suffering. Easier said than done. (laughs) (laughs) On the spectrum, pursuing it. And also I'm still on the spectrum of that. (laughs) Yeah. So my word for 2022 is trust Mm. because I've been through so much and even when I was younger, the first tattoo I wanted to get was this too shall pass on me Mm. as a reminder to myself that no matter what waves come, I've been through so much and that I got to the other side, ended up not getting that tattoo is a funny story, but that awareness is something we really need to hold on to. And it's like I said, it's so much easier said than done and almost only ever noticeable in retrospect. But if you think back on your life and you just remember how much you have gone through, And how it ended up all getting you to where you were meant to be. At a certain point, we have to start trusting. Otherwise, we're just blatantly ignoring the whole past that has brought us here. And that's not a bypass. That doesn't mean you don't do the work, right? Do the work. The work makes me happy. That's right. And that's another big, big thing I could talk about is this, that sometimes you have to do the work. Sometimes you have to do the hard thing. And trusting does not mean that you just become a jellyfish just like it just lay gets, back and like ah, yeah like it washes over me. it's not that if you don't do what you know you're meant to you will get to where you want to be mm-hmm. that's not the trust the trust is that even if it's hard even if it doesn't seem clear if you keep doing what you know you should mm-hmm. you will get to where you were supposed to be mm-hmm. maybe it's not where you thought well, you wanted yeah, to yeah. be <laughs> but you will end up exactly where you're supposed to be if you continue to do what your soul is telling you you should. And that's another big message I stand upon because there's a disembodiment that comes from this idea of not doing the hard thing sometimes. Yeah. This idea that just ease and grace and it's a balancing act, right? I'm very far on the push and drive side. So I'm trying to find the ease and grace and the trust and acceptance, but it does need to be a balancing act and that, balance can be teeter-tottered unevenly in either direction. And I think embodiment is when those two come into alignment. Yeah. And I think that's how we learn by swinging too far and touching an edge and then coming back. I think about like in the spiral of our development or a pendulum would probably be a more simple example. If we're using a spectrum where we have to swing to one side and then we spend enough time at the other side that we find the challenges or the pains of being too far on that side. And then we slowly start to swing back to the other. And like gradually over time, that pendulum is just getting tighter and tighter. It's not swinging as far. So every swing gets shorter. So you spend less time at the extremes and just eventually you get to this like beautiful balance when the ball stops and you've been to the spectrum. So you know how to go there again. That is what I feel is like true balance is not being the complete 50-50, but it's the ability to go 100% in one direction and then come right back or go 100% in the other direction. And it's really, it's 
omnidirectional. It's, yeah, it's say, like yeah. a multi-dimensional yeah. 360 sphere uh-huh. that also is like yeah. permeating <laughs> up nine dimensions, yeah. right? Yeah. Every simple explanation and ideal extrapolated into infinity, and that's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do a few of those at home just yeah. uh, sink yeah. into that one so i was working at enterprise i was in this suit and tie and i knew that this is not the fucking life for me and i have built my whole existence around never having to wear a suit and tie again uh-huh. and it was hard there was yeah. points where it was a challenge but here i am getting to train awesome humans like you and some of the dopest humans in Austin, Texas come right. to me and it has to, at a certain point, I have to recognize that trust because it's happening. And eventually I had to take a leap of faith, which was going to Costa Rica to get my yoga teacher training certification. At the time, being a yoga teacher sounded fucking insane. <laughs> like now we're in Austin, Texas yeah, and it's, it's like, you know, three out of five people are yoga instructors <laughs> yoga or something coach, like, whatever. yeah. <laughs> But that was not the world I was living in. I was in Marin County, which is where rich people go to just die, essentially, (laughs) in California, (laughs) the land of mansions and erectile dysfunction. Yeah. And there was no guys my age teaching yoga classes. There was like maybe like a few girls. Most of them were much older. So this idea of like, okay, I'm going to quit my job and go do a yoga teacher training in Costa Rica in the hopes of being able to do that professionally was just an insane leap of faith, but it brought me here today. And the breath work that you've experienced of mine, you know, again, I was really blessed because during that yoga teacher training certification, it wasn't just yoga. We also learned this incredibly powerful form of bioenergetic cathartic breath work release where we blindfolded ourselves, we did breath work, and then we fucking screamed. And it was like cussing and fuck you, dad. And just like, ah, I can't, crying. And just an hour of like, you know, what I've come to find is an Osho dynamic meditation practice. And I remember coming out of that and being like, whoa, the world needs more of this. And the clarity that came through for me at that time, I was in this beautiful... Costa Rican retreat. And I was like, this could be life. We could have this retreat center and we could share these tools with people. And it kind of catapulted me on this mission to want to spread what I had just experienced there to the world. So I came back and from the moment I was teaching my first yoga class, I was also trying to share the breath work and trying to share these tools. I was like 20 years old, co-managing this hot yoga studio out in California checking people into the front desk, cleaning things up, also teaching classes, and then leading dynamic breathwork experiences. And that was foundational to my journey through. And this was before, you know, I'd adapted all these other movement practices. It was just like yoga and breathing and the power of the breath, you know, and then got into Elliot Hulse and Wim Hof and all these different instructors. And that's the reason that this transformational aspect has always been tied in with the movement for me because the two grew together. And then one day I came to Austin, Texas (laughs) and the Mecca, because Joe Rogan had been such an influential person in my life was to go check out on it. And I went to on it and I was there and I was like, Oh, back in the golden days, 
And someone there was like, hey, you should go take Noah's breathwork class. And my first initial reaction was like, I do hella breathwork. I'm good. Yeah, I, don't yeah, I, to, <laughs> I don't need to go do a breathwork class. I'm uh-huh. here for on it. But they were like, no, you really should. <laughs> I'm like, all right. I go to Black Swan Yoga Westgate. And the first thing is there's a bunch of girls and guys my age outside passing around a pipe on that little lawn outside of Black Swan Yoga. I'm like, okay, this is cool. This is not like where I'm from. Yeah. Like there's not a lot of people my age doing yoga where I'm from. And during that breathwork experience, it was unlike anything I'd ever experienced. It was the breath hype for the first time. I had this moment during one of the holds where it was like this very clear download of this is where you need to be. This is where you need to be. So I came out of that and I told them, I'm like, hey guys, I want to teach here. I live in California, but I'm going to save up money. And in like six months, I'm going to come teach here. And thank God they were like, yeah, sure, do it. You know, like, <laughs> like, probably not thinking yeah. I actually would, right, but exactly. like encouraging it yeah. and, and opening the possibility up. So, you know, flash forward six months of saving money and it's just like trying to get ready, saving my $10,000 and just took a leap of faith out here to pursue movement and transformation and trying to change the world. And it wasn't an easy road. Getting that job at Black Swan Yoga took many months. And during the meantime, I was doing any odd job I could just to survive. But somehow, through serendipity, I found a way. I was taking a kickboxing class with JJ. So I knew JJ. The person I moved to live with took me to JJ's class and introduced me to JJ. And then I was kickboxing with him. So he knew him. And I'm like, JJ, what do I got to do, man? I want to work there. And he's like, okay, after class, Jamie, the manager at the time, is teaching a class. You sprint out of here, go to her class. I'm teaching the class after hers. Bring your resume. I will introduce you there. So just like continuing to show up, somehow I got in there. And, you know, after teaching there for a long time, because people knew I was into the breath work, when Anahata came to town and they were looking for volunteers, I was one of the people they called in to help volunteer, which was like just such a serendipitous blessing. And then because I was one of those volunteers, I got sponsored to go do Anahata's breathwork training. So I got to go out to Sedona for two weeks. The first week staying with Kyle Kingsbury and Ted Decker (laughs) in Aubrey Marcus's awesome lodge. Like these experiences that just like happen when you keep showing up and trusting and keep putting the work in and take these leaps of faith. It's damn near miraculous. So that opened up my breathwork education. And then it was growing with the cathartic release and the cathartic movement. And then Noah giving me the permission to make it You know, he was doing it to trap music back in the day. And then I also had these experiences of going to raves and then taking these tools and bringing them into these rave environments kind of formed this specific style of breathwork that I now share, which is, you know, very unique. There's not a lot of people doing like bioenergetic, cathartic expression, breathwork sessions to EDM music. (laughs) So, yeah, that's how we got to what we're offering now. Yeah. So dope. But it all goes together. Yeah. Like when I'm doing it, I'm like, yeah, this is supposed to be here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like exactly what the body wants to express. Yeah. And I want to take a small step back to like the experience you had, because I wanted to like highlight this with when you visited, you did the class, and you're like, I'm gonna teach here. And the energy of and I don't know what it was actually like, but the energy of like, yeah, sure, man. Like do yeah. it, sure. I think that is more of a gift than we give it credit for. Yeah. Because what most of us are used to is we say something 
out of deep inspiration. We just come out and we're like, I'm going to do this thing. And a lot of people have the experience of the first five voices are like, oh, you're no, no, that's questions you, and no. doubts. Like, I don't know. Like, what are you going to do for that? Like yeah. all this blah, blah, blah. And yeah. all of it is just their own in a way. Like I actually see it as love. It's they love you. And so they're like, they have the fears around it. So they're like, yeah. how could you not have the fears around it? and all these insecurities and doubts? And so in a way they're loving you by doing that. And also it's, we don't have enough of the balance of like, yeah, follow your dreams, man. Like, yes, you can do it. Like, that's not my path. But like, if that feels right for you, like, fuck yeah, go do it. And that is one thing about, that's actually the energy of every single person that I call a friend is that energy. They're never like, no, you can't do that. Like, I don't think I've heard those words in many, many years. And I wanted to highlight that because it's so undervalued in our life because what I know to be true for myself and witnessing it by so many people, you can fucking do anything you want in like whatever flavor and whatever volume, like you can do it. And if you feel the deep calling to do it, it's like you're the only one that can decide if you choose that path. And it takes at first like a really Actually, I usually say this, like it takes a leap of courage. But when you're so lit up on your knowing, I feel it's actually the opposite. It's like, I can't not do this. And that's how I feel oftentimes when I'm making decisions that are like way out of left field. I'm just like, it's knocking. And like, I can either answer or I can keep having this knock in my head. What do I prefer? I'm just going to go down this path and see where this knock leads me. I think in a way it only takes courage because they're can be a perception that like it will be different than what other people expect us to or or people will judge it or whatever i had a lot of that when i Bryn and i separated and divorced it was like inner knowing and yet in this moment in time this is what i needed but yet like everything in my life was telling me like don't do that and eventually enough like going inward and enough time and space and what was true for me emerged out of that. And had I listened to like all the external voices and those internal fear voices that I wouldn't have followed that. And that was just like one of my own examples. But I have so many of these from my life where I feel like I've lived multiple different identities and lifetimes because I've just followed the path. I've gotten to the end, to a moment where it's just like a clear like, oh, it's time to do this now. And for a while, I used to have the, uh, used to, that was generous. I still have It's getting better. It's a practice, right? (laughs) You saw what happened there, yeah. I still have the keep one foot in this one and one foot in that one. But I'm deeply, like deeply practicing like how to honor that knowing and just go. Trust my word for 2022. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad whoever that was said that to you in that way in that energy and didn't tell you what was probably more the reality of like oh man it's a really lot of people want to work, work here. here a lot yeah yeah and i actually had a an opposite experience of that once where i was talking to and i won't name the trainer but one of the on it trainers and i was like man i really want to be one of the on it trainers and he was like yeah you and almost everybody mm, yeah and it like shut me down yeah So I've experienced both ends of that. And 
it's such a powerful gift you can give somebody when you don't feed that fear. Yeah. And you don't just project your fears onto them. Yeah. yeah. Don't come from a place of scarcity. Don't come from a place of, you know, for a long time, I was like the breathwork instructor in Austin. And now there's like five or six breathwork instructors in Austin who At are like least. teaching consistent yeah. classes. And every time they've asked me, I'm like, yeah, do it. Yeah. Do it. Because that place of scarcity and that place of not enoughness is, it can be such an illusion mm-hmm. and it can be like the number one problem with the world at the same time. In a certain way, there's a reality there mm-hmm. because there are places where there are less things than other places. So I'm not sure how we, part of this embodiment is not bypassing the reality, mm-hmm. recognizing that there is a reason for that and it needs to be worked with and acknowledged. And I think a lot of it comes down to doing the work because it's not like, hey, if you just want it but don't work for it, it's going to just happen for you. And it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to show up in the way that you think you wanted it to. Right. But you will end up where you're supposed to be. And for me now, it's I ask myself different questions. And what I mean by that is like, if there's something that I want and I don't have it, in the past, it would have been so many questions around like, why don't I have this? And I'm like, not working hard enough at this thing or whatever. And now I look at it like, okay, what is the thing that's out of alignment in my life? Like, what is the thing that I'm saying I need to be doing and I'm not doing? And I just do that thing regardless if I believe it has any tie to this like future outcome. We could be talking about, they are all ties and I'm going to stoot observer of the human. And so we could be talking about like finances, for instance, and there's like semen retention and like, I'm not practicing this practice or I'm not taking ice baths every day. And these are all just my own, whatever, my own things that I do and practices I love, or it's something in my diet, having coffee every day. And for me, coffee is too much. And I know that, but I fucking love it. (laughs) And sometimes I get in these phases where I'm just fucking drinking coffee every day. I'm like, yeah, more coffee. Let's get a coffee. Let's do a coffee. Yeah. (laughs) And like, I'm like this version of myself. And I'm like, no, I actually, I'll much prefer not doing that. And then like, if I want occasionally doing it, but these things I'm like doing, I was doing it the other day, Uh, right before he came in, I set my journal up and I had just done a, a practice of hell yes, hell no, maybe. And there are all these things in my life that if they're not a hell yes, no, I'm sorry, if they're a maybe, how can I move them to a hell yes or a hell no? So it's like, okay, no, mm. these are not things I'm doing right now. Or this is definitely a thing I'm doing. And I think it's the lack of commitment, the lack of choice, the lack of trust. And the questions just become so much simpler for me when I'm honest with myself. And I just say, okay okay, I don't have this thing. Look at my life. Like, what's the thing that's out of alignment with what I say I'm doing? And I do my best, my human best to do it. Yeah. I talk about this knowing what you should do. And that's such a real thing. Jordan Peterson says, like, you may not have all the answers, but if you sit at the edge of your bed (laughs) and really openly pray and ask, like, what am I doing that is not working. You'll get an answer pretty quick. Pretty quick. (laughs) And then following through is like the work. And, you know, I found it periods of my life. I've been so resistant 
to stillness, call it meditation, mindfulness, and just stillness because I've been afraid of how much will come in of like what I'm not doing or where I'm out of alignment. And ironically, like that's the exact antidote I need is I just need to like truly hear it and do it, but it's always there. It's just like I'm moving so fast to distract myself from like what I know to be true. Let me ask you this, Chris. Yeah. What do you think about this whole, you know, obviously we're talking about this balancing act. I recently had an experience with a client where he came to me because he wants to better his physical practice. And I took him through one of the haptic bed journeys, Mm -hmm. side conversation, but he came out the other side and his realization was, I just need to keep doing what feels good for me. I just need to keep doing what feels right. And I got a little somewhat, I wouldn't say triggered, but like you came to me because you're not where you want to be. And his thing was like, I can commit to doing 10 minutes of exercise twice a week. And I'm like, to me, that sounds like nothing. That sounds like copping out almost. But as I was pushing him, he was very clear that like, nope, this is what feels good for my soul. And where is the line between this just ease and grace and doing what feels right and the resistance that's necessary for growth? Because like the thing I love about weights is it's like a physical resistance, yeah. right? It's not easy. Yeah. There is no ease and grace in a PR, in a personal record, oh. right? So my kind of, I think, message that I'm trying to bring to the spiritual community is, yeah, the ease and, the, and it's also the inverse of what I need to work on more because I am very personally focused on the drive and the push. But like, where is that balance for you? Where do you find the listening to what feels right and then the like sometimes hey i don't want to fucking do this shit it's going to be hard but i know that once i got to the other side of it i'm going to be happy i did yeah this is going to tie in a couple things we've already talked about and the first thing i would say is that i'll start with trust yeah so the first thing is how much do i trust my own knowing and how much do i trust your awareness of me, your knowledge, your knowing of me. And so what I mean by that is we all have these relationships and these relationships are reflecting back. And the more I trust you to know me at a very deep level, the more I will be able to listen to the harsh things that I don't want to hear. I think that's valuable. I surround myself with people that will give me honest reflections and there's inner circles that I trust at a very deep level to tell me those things. And I take it. I always say it this way. Like everything someone shares with you is an intertwined rope. And in that rope, it can either be uh, golden threads of gifts and opportunities or projections. And so the more I know you and the deeper level of trust and openness and vulnerability, the more gold is going to be in that rope. I may still be projecting a little bit about myself into you, but there's more gold. Now, That's the first piece. So what's the relationship like? Second thing, I'll go back to the spectrum, the pendulum we talked about. And in the doing versus being, we'll call it the masculine and the feminine, the command and the surrender, you know, it is a always will be a dance. Yeah. The same way we talk about movement, it's never still. And sometimes that medicine is appropriate for some people. What I mean by that medicine is like, just listen and flow and just like whatever the wind blows me, 
I can speak like compassionately from that place because I tend to be more of a masculine being as well. But a few years ago or two years ago, right after I had massive transformation, I flowed very much into the feminine, into my feminine. And I was saying things like that. I was like, oh, I'm just going to do what I want today, follow my intuition, didn't have a workout plan. And I did that for as long as I needed to do that. And then I started seeing my own signs. My body showed me signs. I was reflected signs back. People in my life were showing it up that were more in their embodied masculine. And I was like, okay, I remember those parts of myself. I'm going to start calling those parts back. And so I swung from the furthest end of the feminine spectrum that I was ready to go to back towards the masculine and back towards more of like what I believe to be a good balance for me right now. At this moment in time, I feel I'm in a very good balance of that. When our mind commits to something, there is a value in taking us from the being into the doing. When we spend too much time in the doing, our mind being committed to something keeps us stuck in the doing and misses the being. And so it depends on where someone is. And sometimes, sometimes people need something that is different than our medicine. And sometimes they need our medicine more than they know they do, more than they're willing to admit that they do. Because it's whether you go in either direction, initially it's going to be hard. But in my experience, the way we describe hard in our words in our society is that is more of the masculine doing. And it's when you swing from just like eating whatever you want, sleeping in all day, like just not having plans or schedules. Like when you are in that in a deep way, deciding to bring structure back in is uncomfortable. And that's why I'm incredibly passionate about doing this work because I like to meet people where they're at and see what is a stretch for them. So for instance, like that person going to your routine and the level that you hold of structure is going to be too far of a stretch and it will keep them stuck. It'd be like, nope, that's too far. That's not me. And I'm going to stay here. So what is the, and these answers will come from them. Okay. On the spectrum of completely comfortable, no change, comfortable where you're at. And like, I feel like I'm going to die. I like to back up from, I feel like I'm going to die. So when I'm working people back into the masculine. Okay, so if doing it on this time frame or this amount or this weight or whatever it is feels like you're going to die, okay, how do we keep moving it back until you're at your edge, but it's still doable? And I think you and I both know that like transformation can happen in a moment, but it's the human side. It's the stories. It's the holding on to old patterns and it's the resistance. Transformation can happen in a moment. Embodiment doesn't happen in a moment. No, it doesn't because there's so many lagging indicators. Like our body is a lagging indicator. Yeah. The mind works like lightning. The body moves like a tree. It needs time. And so the nuance is if, if we're in a role of seeing someone for their highest self as a coach, as a guide in any way, as a mentor, it's the nature of that relationship is that I'm going to see things that maybe you don't see right now. And you trust that I'm doing it from a place of love and compassion and your growth. And if I'm coming from that energy, 
what I say is going to be much better received than the energy of like, I do it this way, so you need to do it this way. Those are two different types of coaching or like guiding. I think the first is much more valuable, but it requires you as the coach to let what you believe to be best for them aside to meet them where they're at and then get them the next step. And that unfortunately can take time because the embodiment that they need to practice is taking time and it can go faster if they were to just listen to you. Hey, do this thing that I want you to do. I swear sometimes I just want to like shackle people and force them to do the things they know they should because I've gotten to the point where I almost feel like I can solve 90% of people's problems if they would just do what I tell them to do. That's the hard part. And, you know, hard part for me as well is to doing the doing what you know you should. But yeah, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Yeah, there's lots of gold threads in that. And also what you are facing or what you're facing in that is not just do the habit, do the thing. You also have an enormous amount of baggage that person's carrying that's largely unconscious that you're also up against. And it's probably the much stronger competitor than the conscious mind of what they're aware of. And it's like, what would happen if I were my greatest self? What would happen if I were in the best shape of my life at 40? What would happen if I'm not 40? I don't know why I said 40. Because <laughs> we're going to be in the best yeah, shape of our lives by 40. That's true. Yeah. And so is like, there's a lot of people that will unconsciously resist that because of the beliefs that they have. And that is why the embodiment process takes time is because those have to be unwound and re-put back together and integrated in a way that is stabilized. And if someone's going through, so if you said that to me, I'm coming from like at this moment in my life, a very stable place. And so I would be able to hold that and I'd be able to take that. But at other moments in my life where I was so destabilized, I'd be like, Mateo, I trust you, but like, I can't right now. I just can't. I can't hold any more. My life has all of it right now. Yeah. And so it's, it also goes back to nature and seasons and we can only do our best. They can only do their best and you can only do your best in supporting and guiding them. For whatever it's worth, like it's always easier to see in others than it is to see in ourselves. So they may not truly see it yet. There may be tomorrow they may call you and be like, Mateo, you're right. I'm ready. 10 years from now, they'll be like, oh, I'm ready. Mateo, you're right. I'm ready. It's like, that's like shifting to abundance is like, okay, it's just not this person, not right now, or it's at this level. And it's a deep practice for me because I care. Yes. And that's one of the deepest practices is to care about people and also accept watching them do the things you feel they shouldn't be. So one of my mentors said that you can never save someone from their apocalypse. You can only bring them to it. And if they are not experiencing enough change happens out of discomfort and challenge and pain and suffering. And if they're not experiencing enough to catalyze a change within themselves, you can't save them from that because that won't be lasting. You can only bring them to it in the way of shining the light on it. And oftentimes, shining the light is just being the version that 
being the version of yourself that shows the gifts of what you're trying to teach them. And you do that really well. But there's going to be one day, maybe, maybe not in this lifetime, who knows, where they look at that and they're like, okay, I'm ready to embody that archetype, that way of being, that energy. And it comes from being your authentic self and people seeing that. That's bringing them to their apocalypse. We can also do it in words by reflections and questions and stuff. But sometimes just being yourself triggers the fuck out of people. And that can be a good thing. If it's coming from a place of authentic expression and it's not with the intention of harming them. Like I'm not ever intending to trigger people just so they like get to their pain. I do that with my sister. I'm working on that. (laughs) That's another (laughs) dynamic. But I don't do that with clients, with friends, with anyone. And also some things that I do will trigger them. I know that. I don't know if that answered. I love this shit. So I love this shit too, man. (laughs) Three hour long podcast. We're never going to stop. Let's go. Man, Uh, how are we doing? Awesome. I don't know what that means. (laughs) Such a pleasure, Chris. Yeah. Man, thanks for having me. God, these conversations are the best. I love this medium. Mm-hmm. It's just an opportunity to sit down and talk about these things. Thank God for podcasting. I hope someone out there gets something out of this. And there's just so much deeper we could go in all yeah. these directions. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll have more future conversations. Where we'll dive into all the nooks and crannies. As we do. Yeah. Love you, brother. Is there, uh, I love you as well. Thank you. Is there anything... Lastly, you want to share with the listeners as we close this up? The body comes first in all of our spiritual practice and all of our psychological endeavors when it comes to our finances, when it comes to our relationships, when it comes to manifesting our dreams and goals, the body comes first. And it's so common to see that skipped over. It's so common to see that bypassed in a sense. And I really believe that my message for now is to keep trying to pull people back, to keep trying to remind them that it all starts here, not out there, not in here. The body comes first. Thank you. That is a great, great reminder, especially in a lot of communities and circles. And there is value to all practices but if we're going to choose to live in this physical space like this is our physical machinery this is our physical technology it's how we express and move through and we express spirit through this body and that's what called me to work with you is like i realized that i was making all these changes and all these developments and internal and yet i had left my body behind after that moment in time where it like crashed and burned and I hadn't really focused on it the way that I truly wanted to, to like fine tune it to be the perfect piece of technology that it is. And that's, has been my focus for the last six to nine months and I'm loving it so much. Feels good, right? It opens your capacity. It opens your clarity. So much. When I move my body, I actually came to this with another mentor is what stimulated me getting back into training, back into this. And I did it slowly, actually. I, Looking back, I should have just done it. Had I had someone reflect it, just do it, I probably would have. And there's a reason Nike's a billion-dollar company. Yep. Like, and just do it. Just do it, man. What's a better three-letter yeah. <laughs> mantra than that? It's do the thing. And so what I was going to say is I had a realization where I'm a better 
facilitator. I'm a better leader. I'm a better partner. I'm a better brother. I'm a better friend when I'm moving my body, period. When I'm expressing through my body, everything else flows. I'm more creative. I'm more tapped in, a more open channel. And so it's my testimony right there. I'm grateful to be at the point where I recognize that so deeply that I can't not do it anymore. And I know, and this is the scary thing, is I know if I took a month off movement, it would be really hard to bring it back. But with the consistency that I've been keeping, even like today, the fact that I haven't moved my body, I feel it to such a degree that like, I can't wait to get off this podcast yeah. and go move. Go train, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And you've created structure around yourself. Built my whole life. My house is a gym. I know. It really is. It's incredible, <laughs> folks. You should go check it out. It's incredible. Yeah. The dojo. Well, thank you, Mateo. Where can people find you, find out about the work that you're doing, the program you have? Yeah. Instagram, embody, E-M-B-O-D-Y underscore flow, F-L-O-W. And the website is bpeakxp.com, B-E-P-E-A-K-X-P.com. There's a YouTube channel. The YouTube channel is Peak Transformation. And my goal is to try to give all the keys away for free. Just shower the world with these gems. I'm trying to feel like I'm the Robin Hood of biomechanics, right? Mm. And transformation and embodiment. I'm trying to take these codes and I'm just trying to spread them to the people. And yeah, the world needs it. And the more you share them, the more you explain them, the more you teach them, the more you understand them too. True. Beautiful. Thank you, Mateo. Thanks for being on today. Pleasure and a privilege always, brother. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the Fully Expressed Podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed this vulnerable conversation with our guest. And if you enjoy this show, please leave us a review, share it with a friend, and let me know if this has impacted your life in any way. You can message me directly on Instagram at Chris Marhefka. And also, if you want to support this show, the show is fully funded by my company, Training Camp for the Soul. Go over and check out trainingcampforthesoul.com where you can find out about our online programs, in-person retreats, and lots of free offerings where we're helping people to transform their lives radically and permanently. Thank you all for listening. I appreciate you so much for making this dream a reality.